Hey there, welcome to CupyCast. I'm Brittany Nisbet. I use she, her pronouns. Are you hoping to learn more about unions or progressive movements? Then you're in the right spot. We're the only podcast of our kind, combining union info, pop culture, and more. Kicking ass for the working class, one podcast at a time. Whether you're a member of CUPE Ontario, in a union, wish you were in a union, or just found us while browsing, you're definitely in the right place. My name's Elise Leelai, and I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Tiffany Balducci, she, her pronouns. It's Pride Month, so in today's CUPYCast, we're going to explore the revolutionary history of pride, break down some LGBTQ2IA plus issues, interview trans rights activist Susan Gafka, and explore no pride in police and so much more. Let's talk about terms like queer liberation, rainbow capitalism, and rainbow washing or pink washing. And if this terminology is new to you, don't worry, we'll all learn together. So let's get to it, everyone. You're listening to CupyCast's episode, Queer Liberation, Not Rainbow Capitalism. Can you believe it's already June? It's so different these past two years with the pandemic, but one of my favorite parts of June is Pride. Yeah, so much has changed during the pandemic, but new ways of organizing are emerging as well. Mm -hmm. And while June is Pride Month, it's also Indigenous History Month. And it's important that we acknowledge our colonialist history and its continued devastating impacts on Indigenous peoples and communities across Turtle Island. Just a few weeks ago, the remains of 215 precious Indigenous children were found at a former residential school. There were over 140 residential schools in so-called Canada, and these residential schools stole and separated Indigenous children from their families, homes, and communities, and only brought violence, neglect, abuse, death, and intergenerational trauma to Indigenous peoples. Words are not enough, and we all need to take action. If you're a union activist listening to this podcast, we encourage you to take a look at Walking the Talk, a practical guide for reconciliation for CUPE locals. This guide, which can be found on the CUPE National website, reminds union activists that while we are demanding the implementation of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and justice for Indigenous communities to our municipal, provincial, and federal governments, we should also be demanding and pushing for justice and change for Indigenous peoples in our workplaces and in our unions. Thank you to all of the Indigenous peoples and Indigenous CUPE members who took the time and care to put together this guide for us. We also call on union activists to join the Indigenous Council at QPO in demanding that all levels of government commit to the terms of the Missing Children Research Project. This project calls for an examination of the number and cause of deaths, illnesses, disappearances of children, the location of burial sites, and a review of all relevant church and government records, as well as information provided by survivors, staff, or anyone else. Solidarity is so important right now, and we hope that you amplify these calls to action by writing to your government officials, joining rallies in person, sharing social media posts, or directly donating to Indigenous peoples and communities. So some of you might be asking, what exactly does queer liberation, not rainbow capitalism, mean? Well, the best way that I can describe it is how companies primarily market themselves to white, straight, affluent, and upper class. They'll place a pride rainbow, for example, on their products and call themselves inclusive. While I was researching, I came across a blog post by a person by the name of 
Rahika Redheshikaran. The post was perfectly titled Brands Are Not Your Friends, and it was actually a paper she wrote for her master's in women's studies that she then decided to share on her blog. It actually helped me learn a lot. That sounds like a really interesting post. There's so much information out there. Maybe we can post a link to our research in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a great idea. So this blog post was full of amazing examples, but the one that I really wanted to share is this. Dove increased its sales to $1.5 billion when it came out with its hashtag real beauty campaign, which supposedly shows quote unquote normal women as beautiful. However, Dove is owned by Unilever, which also owns Axe. Television advertisements of Axe deodorants were marketed for men, and they routinely feature conventionally beautiful, thin, fair-skinned, hairless, photoshopped women. Ironically, Axe also showed support for the Section 377 judgment with its campaign that proclaimed, people say opposites attract, but we say attraction has no rules. Huh, interesting. I know, right? So the same parent company, Unilever, is on one hand asking women to accept their bodies as beautiful through Dove products, but on the other hand, they're telling men to accept only conventional beauty of women through act through Axe products. All of these are also very heteronormative and binary depictions of beauty, attraction, and bodies. I especially liked the quote or when she wrote, when corporations are co-opting rainbow flags, they're not showing support for LGBTQ rights. They are me- merely capitalizing on a consumer identity that can be bought and sold in a marketplace. So if a company or organization is not genuinely supporting the LGBTQ plus community, many would argue that the rainbow has no place on their storefront, display picture, or products for Pride Month. At You Can Call Me Me's on Instagram wrote that it's estimated that businesses earn annually $917 billion from Pride. What? Shame. During the Pride Month of June, rainbows are seen everywhere, with taglines speaking of love, equality, and freedom in advertising campaigns all over the place, but it just disappears after June in so many places. Large corporations spend millions of dollars, such as Facebook and Instagram, with the LGBTQ plus hashtag turning rainbow when used. Coca-Cola and Uber uses map routes turning rainbow. Um, And these campaigns seemingly further the movement. And it's all incorporated into their products to capitalize on the purchasing power of queer people and rainbow families. In many ways, rainbow capitalism was also designed to take advantage of the new wave of allyship. It thrives in part because of the acceptance of white, gay, cisgender people while erasing queer, trans, BIPOC people. Mm-hmm. Totally. There have there have just been so many instances on social media that I found where folks are calling out companies and corporations for capitalizing on the rainbow, which like I love. Like that's one of the, my favorite things right now is like who's calling who out for what? How what more can I learn? Um, and in the first few days of June, I actually saw a ton of posts, but the one that I really liked a lot was by a person named Matt Bernstein. So he's Matt X I V on Instagram, and it was just a bunch of pictures that you could like swipe through. But the first one had a caption, and it said, "Putting a rainbow up for one month every year is not allyship; it's marketing." Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I saw that you shared that. Um, I think you shared it with me, too, on Instagram, but also on your story. Um, mm-hmm. And I loved reading through the whole post and swiping through the pictures. Uh, one of them said a statement I really liked that I think sums it all up perfectly. Um, it was uh, quoted, rainbow washing allows people, governments and corporations that don't do the tangible work to support LGBTQ plus communities at any other time during the year to slap a rainbow on top of something in the month of June and call it allyship. Yeah, that, that, I saw that quote and I was like, ooh, Tiffany needs to see this. So I just sent it your way. 
Um, and then I also saw a person by the name of Tony Choi uh, posted on Twitter and then it was reshared on Instagram. So it might have even been a tweet from a long time ago, but I saw it a few days ago and it said, Pride isn't brought to you by T-Mobile and Absolute Vodka. It was brought to you by drag queens, trans women throwing bricks, by lesbian and queer women taking care of gay men dying of AIDS in the face of international government neglect. And that was just so like honest and like to the point. And it was just so raw. I was like this. This is the tweet. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And the New York Times also wrote an article back in 2016 titled How Empowerment Became Something for Women to Buy. This article is a bit old, but it still rings true, especially when they say a company's sudden emphasis on empowerment is often a sign of something to stand for. It's always good to look deeper at these brands and what they truly support. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, and speaking of research, I actually used to work as a librarian in a public library. And one of the questions we'd frankly, like very frequently get asked by the public or even staff at the library was, what are the ABCs of LGBTQ2IA+. What does the acronym even stand for? I love that people go to their library. Public libraries for research is yes. such a great idea um, for people who may not have the background in this information. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Um, libraries do so much for sure. Uh, LGBTQ2IA plus is the inclusive queer term, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and or questioning, two-spirit, intersex, asexual, and or allies. You usually see a plus sign at the end, and this is to include anything not captured, such as non-binary or pansexual. While the first three letters in this term, LGB, focus on sexual identity, lesbian, gay, and bisexual, T, which stands for transgender, refers to an individual's gender identity. Transgender refers to a person whose gender identity is different from the sex stated on their birth certificate. This brings us to Q, which is for queer and or questioning. According to the Stonewall charity, queer is listed as having once been used as a derogatory term for LGBT individuals, which I'm sure some of us remember from growing up. Mm-hmm, but the charity sure. emphasizes, yeah, but the charity emphasizes uh, that this is in the past. They said the term has now been reclaimed by LGBT people who don't identify with traditional categories around gender identity and sexual orientation. I, I love that. That's amazing. Just like take back that power. Totally. Uh, and, and queer is also seen uh, by many as a catch-all inclusive term. But I also want to caution that the term is still viewed to be derogatory by some. So it's always good to check in. And uh, the Q can also stand for questioning. So folks who are still exploring their gender identity or sexuality. The number two signifies two-spirit, which is a term used within some indigenous communities encompassing cultural, spiritual, sexual, and gender identity. The term actually reflects complex Indigenous understandings of gender roles, spirituality, and the long history of sexual and gender diversity in Indigenous cultures. Individual terms and roles for two-spirit people are specific to each nation. Due to its cultural, spiritual, and historical context, the concept of two-spirit is to be used only by Indigenous people. However, not all Indigenous people hold diverse sexual and uh, actually, not. however, not all Indigenous people who hold diverse sexual and gender identities consider themselves to be two-spirit. So many identify themselves as LGBTQ+. So just considered, um, if someone's Indigenous, that doesn't automatically mean they identify as two-spirit. It's a very, it's not a monolith in that way. 
For sure. And the call for justice for murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls also includes two-spirit people. It's important that the ongoing violence and continued genocide that affects Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people across Turtle Island is addressed. Yes. And we could do a podcast on that specifically, as there's so much more we could discuss on this, for sure. Yeah. So uh, moving along, um, I stands for intersex, which is a person born with a reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't seem to fit the typical definitions of female or male. And this is according to the Intersex Society of North America. That brings us to A, standing for asexual and or ally. According to Stonewall, an asexual person, also known as an ace, A-C-E, is defined as someone who does not experience sexual attraction for any gender. It could also be known, um, they could also be known as aromantic, or this term could also be known as aromantic. The other term that A can stand for in LGBTQIA is ally. In this context, an ally is a person who does not identify as LGBTQIA, but supports the rights and safety of those who do. I love that. Thank you for like going through all of that for us, Tiffany. No problem. Um, and making yourself familiar with all the parts of the terms like LGBTQ2IA+, is so important, not just for yourself, but your right for society and inclusion. Yeah, thank you so much, Tiffany, for that breakdown. It's also important to note that the terminology is organic and continually being added to and adapting to the communities it serves. Yeah, definitely good to note that. Um, And I agree. It also it does help build a more inclusive society. And I just want to mention uh, at the same library system that I worked at, which is in Ontario, uh, they're now offering an online drag queen story time. Love that. So fun. Uh, (laughs) And they've been offering it for a while, but it's virtual now, right? Because of the pandemic. And it's actually Mm -hmm. receiving a huge amount of hate on social media, like a very large amount Uh. um, in in local social media, uh, but as well widely whenever you see libraries offer this. Mm -hmm. So that just goes to show how much work needs to be done. But I'm so glad that programming like that is being offered at our public services and that we're embedding it in our day to day work and lives um, like pronouns and email signatures, for example. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's something I've been trying to do and make sure that I've been doing a lot more often. But like, did you guys see that Instagram has a place for pronouns now? Uh, This update happened like mid-May. Oh, so cool, right? I was just like so excited. (laughs) And I saw that so many of my friends of mine were changing their pronouns and then people would screenshot the change and then add it to their stories. And everyone was so happy that Instagram finally became more forward thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's a great change. Um, I had my pronouns in my profile already, uh, but I love seeing Instagram uh, make it more clear. Right. But like you had to go and make the conscious decision to go and do that, which is is great, but it's even more fantastic to see that social media is realizing that this is something that they need to do to be more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Hopefully other social media platforms will follow suit like Facebook. Right now, Facebook only asks for your gender and your profile, but they don't actually ask for your pronouns. Yeah, Twitter doesn't ask for pronouns either. But recently, LinkedIn also added a place for pronouns. Before that, I had to add my pronouns on LinkedIn myself. There are so many places where I had to consciously add them in. So it'd be nice to see Twitter follow in Instagram's footsteps. Yeah, and I'm hoping that with maybe with non-binary celebrities like Demi Lovato, who have uh, they, them pronouns, we'll see a lot more of this. Um, I saw a really great Demi Lovato quote, actually, in Pink News, and they said, if 
I had listened to the patriarchy, my life would have never changed. My gender, my pronouns would have never changed. So when I strip myself of the norms that society has pushed on me, I have become the most complete and authentic version of myself that I've ever been in my life. And I've never been happier. Aw, that's so I'm so happy to hear that Demi's living their best life now. And from a union context, it's important to note to always indicate your pronouns at a meeting, on name tags, Zoom handles, anywhere you can create more inclusive union spaces. Earlier we discussed rainbow capitalism. Another piece that is similar to rainbow capitalism is pink washing or rainbow washing, which is the promotion of the LGBTQ friendliness of a corporate or political identity in an, an in an attempt to downplay or soften aspects of it considered negative. Rainbow washing allows people, governments, and corporations that don't do tangible work to support two-spirit LGBTQ plus communities at any other time during the year, and then they slap a rainbow on top of something in the month of June and call it allyship without ever addressing or even really thinking about these issues. We, th- we see this a lot in how the police approach Pride, and many Pride parades have asked police not to participate. Yes, police have a long history of not being held accountable for their actions against the LGBTQ plus community, specifically trans and BIPOC members of the community. Uh, and one of our favorite magazines, Teen Vogue, <laughs> gotta <laughs> yes. always talk about Teen Vogue. They actually wrote an article on it called Why Police Aren't Welcome at Pride. So I'm just going to quote from it because uh, it's really good. Kitty Stryker wrote, to tell young LGBTQ activists that they are being divisive for not wanting an institution that regularly abuses them at an event that was forged to protest that institution's practices feels disrespectful to the history of pride. Police cannot peacock as allies for one day a year and not expect to be held accountable for their actions the rest of the time. And when it's party time, law enforcement certainly can't demand they be welcomed by the people they arrested for speaking up against police brutality. Exactly, Tiffany. And I know you're from Durham region along with me and the police in Durham even have a pride themed militarized police vehicle that is rainbow and says no bullying on it. Yeah, it's it's super shitty and problematic. And Mm -hmm. not only from a two spirit LGBTQ plus perspective, but also for our BIPOC communities as well. In mm-hmm. Toronto, there's actually a group called No Pride in Policing Coalition, and this is an anti-racist, queer, and trans group that was formed to support Black Lives Matter Toronto and other groups that are focused on defunding and abolishing the police. You can check them out at www.noprideinpolicing.ca. If you're an ally or accomplice who's coming to Pride for an Instagram pic, make sure you're also correcting your friends when they say something homophobic or transphobic, that you're educating yourself on the issues, and that you're open about your support for everyone in the community all year round. And that includes all queer people, all gender non-conforming people, all two-spirit LGBTQ plus sex workers, people who are still in the closet, and of course, BIPOC two-spirit LGBTQ plus folks. Yeah, definitely. And for Pride Month, I've actually seen a lot of celebrities tweet uh, and Instagram support and their own lived experiences, right? Uh, But Mm -hmm. to kick off the month, uh, Lil Nas X got the party started early on Twitter with his signature sense of humor. Yeah, he's usually really funny, too, on social media. So he offered some advice for allies and tweeted, for Pride Month, if you have friends who are part of the LGBTQ plus community, let them know that they are loved. Give them all your money. <laughs> so, that's one way to address rainbow capitalism. Basically, uh, if you're a brand who's making your logo rainbow for June, pay up. Donate to LGBTQ plus two-spirit charities. Hire queer people to work for you. 
Use your money and platform to address real two-spirit LGBTQ plus issues. Yeah, Lil Nas X is definitely a game changer. Essence Magazine said it best recently, I think. Malik wrote in an article titled, Lil Nas X is a gay visionary that music needs. Mm. The 2021 release of Lil Nas X's electroprop single Montero, Call Me By Your Name, disregarded the heteronormative gaze in an unforgettable music video. In it, the 22-year-old created his own queer world, shattering intolerant listeners' notions of what was deemed acceptable. This is this opened up a larger conversation about the pressure Lil Nas X was facing for being an openly gay artist. That music video is just so steamy. I didn't see. I, uh, I heard on SNL there was actually like a really good uh, um, rendition as well, but I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I'll have, have to check to that look. out later too. Yeah. Yeah, like the the music video in general is like fantastic. First off, I was like, yes, I love this, but I'm gonna have to check out that SNL video. Um, Elliot Page has also been using uh, their Instagram platform, and actually, that was the platform that he announced he is trans in, which is especially moving um, because he is using his platform to call for systematic changes. And wrote, all the trans people who deal with harassment, self love, self loathing abuse and the threat of violence every day elliot continued on to say i see you i love you and i will do everything i can to change this world for the better they then shared links to peer support and crisis hotlines for trans people like trans lifeline i i think that social media can really help people feel connected to find others if they live in places where they feel like there's so little representation mm-hmm. yeah that's so true and um just talking about representation one thing that it makes me think of, or one thing that many people do not re- realize or know about me personally, largely because I'm what is called quote unquote straight passing, is that I am bisexual. And it's interesting because many consider straight passing to be a privilege, um, and even myself sometimes, so I don't speak of it very often. Because we hear that we're lucky that we can pass as a straight person in society, um, especially if you're in a heteronormative relationship like I am currently. So we actually hear that from all aspects of society. But I have to tell you, it doesn't feel much like a privilege, actually. It's almost like a cloak of invisibility, like you're invisible. And it's kind of like Mm. being in the closet or having to come out in all sorts of spaces over and over again. Yeah, and that uh, that actually reminds me of my very first memory of you, Tiffany. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, and at the the very first, uh, at the, sorry, not the very first, at the 2018 CUPE Ontario convention, um, we were all, a bunch of us were all offering for different positions on the executive board. So when you do that, you go to different caucuses to speak and introduce yourselves uh, because we're offering those positions. And so I remember going to the Pink Triangle caucus and someone introduced uh, you, Tiffany, and they said that you're an ally. And and I, I'll never forget you walking up to the mic to start your speech and you, you said, hi, I'm Tiffany Balducci and I'm not an ally. <laughs> I actually identify as pansexual. So I'm actually one of you. And I was just like, Good for her. And then I had to follow that. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to follow that. Yeah. But like, fantastic. Thank like, you. Like, total mic drop moment. I'm pretty sure my palms were sweating at that time. But yeah. <laughs> and uh, and at the time, I was using the term pansexual because um, I think it was actually around the time. And this isn't why I was using it. But I think Miley Cyrus had recently come out as pan. But many had made me feel like the term bisexual wasn't encompassing enough or left identities out that were outdated, even though that's what felt 
better to me. And that's what I had identified as. So I was kind of playing with the term pansexual at the time. But now I've decided to embrace what feels right for me right now. And and that's bisexual. And the dictionary definition has recently changed to uh, kind of reflect this. Not that I do it for the dictionary definition, of course, but <laughs> but uh, it's the definition is of relating to or characterized bisexual or romantic attraction to people of one's own gender identity and of other gender identity. So sometimes when people hear bi, they think it's very um, masculine and feminine, but it's actually not. It's just basically not monosexual. But yeah, mm-hmm. talking about the Pink Triangle Caucus, unfortunately... That's not the first time that's happened. It happens frequently. And I actually feel like I have to come out every year at the Pink Triangle Caucus, uh, sadly. Oh, man. Yeah, that's uh-huh. got to be hard. Um, so do you mind if we actually ask you a couple of questions? Yeah, no, I don't mind at all. This is uh, this is fun. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, so I have a question. So like my first one is, do do people make a lot of assumptions about you when they find out that you're bisexual? Yeah, definitely. Um, some uh, very inappropriate, so I won't go into that, but uh, usually around, you know, sex and that kind of thing. But really, the main mm-hmm. one is when people find out that I'm in a relationship with someone who is a man, they're like, oh, well, you're no longer bi anymore because you must be straight because you're you're with a man now. But that's that's not how it works. Your identity continues to be your identity. Um, I've also heard people like quiz me like well when's the last time you had a girlfriend because you can't identify as bisexual unless you've been in equal amounts relationship with men and women or you know Mm -hmm. non-binary uh or or how do you even know you're bisexual if you weren't in a real like quote unquote real relationship with with a woman um but I just want to say like you know people know uh how they feel from a very young age usually uh before you're even in a relationship I know for me when I was very young before I was ever dating I knew that I liked uh all the genders and and so uh it's it's this thing that you know you don't need to have a romantic experience with both genders or either gender before identifying as uh bisexual um and of course as I said before when a bisexual person gets married, their orientation does not change. Also, some people have this assumption, and I think it's changing, but some people have an assumption that bisexuals must be in a relationship with both a man and a woman at the same time um, in order to huh. be and fulfilled. And of course, that may be what some people want, and uh, and for sure, that was, that's what works for them. But that's not all people's experience. Uh, I'm a very monogamous person, personally. So, and of course, then some bisexuals might even be, uh, you know, aromantic, but also bisexual. So, as I said before, uh, it's it's definitely not a monolith. There's so many facets to it. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing your personal experience, Tiffany. Um, I have a question for you also. Um, Do you think bi people are more likely to be closeted or do you think people assume a different identity for them? Oh, yeah, for sure. That goes back to the same thing. If, if It all depends on if they're, you know, currently in a relationship, then people assume, you know, that they're gay or they're a lesbian. And uh, so they're making they're creating an identity for them rather than just accepting the identity of bisexual. And I think just like what I said, I, I rarely post on so, like I post a lot of stuff about bi visibility on social media, for example, but I don't think I've ever posted, even on Pride, I go to every single Pride <laughs> every year. I don't think I've ever posted, like, as a bisexual woman, I'm celebrating Pride. Like, I don't think I've even felt that comfortable because I feel like sometimes I I can't take up that space because 
that space belongs to other people. So I've internalized it. And um, when it comes mm-hmm. to, you know, assuming identities, I saw someone and I wish I remembered who posted this on TikTok. So I, I feel bad that I don't. But they, they said it really well. It was something along the lines of, have you ever noticed when most men come out as bi, they, uh, that people think that they're gay with appreciation? And when most women come out as bi, people think that they're straight and looking for attention. And both of these assumptions only assume that people are only into men. So once again, it goes back to patriarchal notions uh, and men being prioritized by society. Oh, wow. I, I don't have TikTok. I really should get TikTok. <laughs> it can take up um, a lot of your time, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so then as a person who is bisexual, do you feel like you fit in with the queer community at all? Or um, If I'm going to be honest, I'll say not really. Um, I feel like the bees in LGBTQ plus, uh, are quite often left out, uh, even of advocacy. And some of it can be internalized, like what I spoke to, where we're not comfortable, you know, making space for ourselves. But even in the advocacy that we do for unions, for example, I'm not sure if people realize that by by Visibility Day is September 23rd. And a lot of times for other Visibility Days, we do, you know, posts on social media or events in union spaces. And and I personally haven't ever seen anything uh, for by Visibility Day. Um, And I'm not sure if there's like a podcast or anything devoted to it, but there definitely should be. Thanks for reminding us, Tiffany, about Bi Visibility Day. Um, Another question for you is, how important is bi representation to you? And do you think bi people are accurately represented in the media? These are great questions. Um, (laughs) Answer them. (laughs) No problem. Uh, Yeah, so bi representation is very important, and it's not something we see too often. And there's actually a term for it, which is called bi erasure or bisexual erasure. And it happens when the existence or legitimacy of bisexuality, uh, either in general or in regard to an individual, is questioned or denied outright. And I grew up seeing this in the media. So uh, or even hearing it when I would tell people when I was, you know, in my late teens, when I was saying, oh, I, I'm, I'm bisexual or I think I'm bi, I quite often would hear, oh, it's just a phase. Or especially when when I was in university, they were like, oh, oh, it's just a university phase. And I don't know, did either of you ever watch Sex in the City? Of course. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I distinctly remember an episode of Sex in the City where Carrie, they're all having brunch together as usual. And Carrie was like, oh, bisexuality is just a layover on the way to gay town. And um, that's actually so damaging because it enforces yeah. the idea that, like, it doesn't actually exist, right? And even, um, did either of you watch the Buffy series? Buffy the Vampire Love Slayer? Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, so that's a really man. formative I'm part of I'm actually rewatching it right now. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so from what I remember, Willow was, like, bi for a minute. But then oh. when she started dating uh, women than to identified as gay. That's my memory of it anyway. So it was like, once again, kind of erased. And the first time I saw a bisexual character, like truly break through and identify as bisexual throughout their whole storyline was in Grey's Anatomy, um, where it was uh, Callie, played by Sarah Ramirez, uh, in around 2008, uh, uh, her character was bisexual and continued to be throughout the series. And now we do see it more like um, mm-hmm. David Rose in Schitt's Creek. I think he, that Love character, him. yeah, Schitt's Creek's the best. I think, <laughs> I think that character identifies as pansexual, 
but still quite often it's overshadowed. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, this, this episode's on, um, on, you know, queer liberation. So I'm, I'm really, uh, proud, I guess, to also use the other term for pride to, to share my story, because I would just like to share with people that queer oppression can be experienced in so many ways. And, while I may not have to worry about holding my partner's hand in public because he's a man, I do have to worry about my bisexuality being erased and not being able to be my true self. So I'm really glad um, that we're embracing terms like queer liberation because until each and every LGBTQ2IA plus person around the world is free without fear of persecution, the fight for liberation continues. And um, a celebrity who actually speaks out on this often is Anna Paquin, uh, who is married to a man. Uh, and she said it really well after being accused of using her bisexuality as a publicity stunt. She said, I'm a proud bisexual who's married to a wonderful human who happens to be a man. It's not a phobia. You're just an asshole. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's so to the point. It's fantastic. But I also really want to thank you, Tiffany, for sharing about your personal and lived experience. Um, I know that you haven't really spoken openly of this before, so I know that it wasn't easy. But like, thank you for sharing with us. Thank you uh, for thank thinking you. that we create like a that we've created a safe space for you to talk about it. So I'm I'm really really appreciative. And then a big shout out also goes to the NDP MPP for Toronto Centre, Suze Morrison, who recently came out as bi. She had a great op-ed in Now Magazine on June the 6th. And uh, there's a picture of her and she's wearing a shirt. And in the shirt, it says, uh, it says, bi am partisan. <laughs> That's um, funny. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And like, I just, as soon as I saw that, I was like, you know what? That's amazing. That's amazing. Like the wall behind her even, and it's fantastic. So shout out to Suze. Uh, But now we're actually going to hear from a guest on their experiences. All right. Now we're super excited and proud to introduce our very first guest to the QP cast, Susan Gapka. Susan is a longtime human rights, labor, and queer and trans right activist. She is also a QP Ontario executive board member and the chair of the Pink Triangle Committee. Welcome, Susan. Well, good morning, everyone. I guess we'll start with Happy Pride Month. Um, month. Well, that gets into one of our questions about rainbow capitalism. <laughs> Why a month? <laughs> Because capitalism is like ever expanding into territory it has no business in. But I'm Susan Gapka. I'm the Pink Triangle, just recently re-elected co-chair or chair of uh, Pink Triangle on the executive board. And uh, I use she and her pronouns, Ella Francaise, Superplay. Thank you so much, Susan. And I know we were on the board together last year, so it's been a privilege to get to know you and work with you over this past year. Um, as I mentioned to you previously, the title of today's podcast is Queer Liberation, Not Rainbow Capitalism. So tell us, what does queer liberation in all of its glory mean to you? Well, I, um, I'm going to go to a definition by Queer Ontario, a group, I think it's been 15 years, but a group I used, a liberation group that I used to work with, um, used to work with and still stay connected to, but their vision is um, to foster a society free of social and systemic oppression where gender and sexual 
sexually diverse people have the freedom and autonomy to live their lives as they see fit in a society that celebrates and protects, protects diversity of expression and choice. So I was thinking of Queer Ontario and their work on queer liberation, but also they come originally was Cielgro um, Coalition for Gays and Lesbians in Ontario, who actually amended the Ontario, one of their main projects, 25 more than um, to add sexual orientation to the Ontario Human Rights Code. You wonder why would a liberation group want to amend the code because that's kind of rights individual rights advocacy but i thought that was uh, it kind of means a lot right what does autonomy to be our own authentic selves mean and so i just wanted to start off with thinking about that it pretty much can be what any of us imagine it to be it's sort of like karl marx said we don't know what a world like of capitalism is like but it's nice to imagine it. Well, we don't know what a world without sex and gender is like, but isn't it fun to imagine it? I love that. Thank you so much, Susan. And what does rainbow capitalism mean to you? And how does rainbow capitalism distract our society from the end goal, which is liberation? So I did look that up as well, and I didn't find the greatest, um, uh, my preferred definition, but what I found is rainbow capitalism, also called pink capitalism, homo capitalism, and gay capitalism is the incorporation of the LGBTQ movement, sexual diversity, and pinkwashing to capitalism, consumerism, gentrification, and the market economy viewed especially in a critical lens as this incorporation pertains to LGBT, Western, white, affluent, upper middle class communities and market. So that's not exactly the definition, but it gives you an idea. It's based around market economy, capitalist economy, and that uh, on the other definition I was looking at, it's like corporations putting up rainbow flags for the week or the month and saying celebrate pride but really their end goal is to get you to purchase their products the lgbt communities are seen as and thought as revenue driven revenue sources sort of like in the post-secondary education where instead of delivering education to uh to our population um the the people who enroll in, in post-secondary education are seen as revenue units in the university system. So in that regard, but capitalism is ever expanding. And I said earlier in the introduction, we used to have a, like a pride weekend and then mm -hmm. a pride week. Now it's a friggin' pride month. In my view, that is capitalism, ever expanding capitalism. <laughs> uh, that like, what are we gonna need? Add, for, uh, that's really not sustainable, um, in my view, because you have staff that are not unionized or protected. Hint, hint. That's a that's a that's one of the next questions. But <laughs> we have staff and volunteers who are asked to do this labor, for and not often getting well compensated. 
in fact, a huge volunteer base to have these uh, um, pride events where corporations can come in and display their goods, put them on display. So instead of going down, um, going to the mall and seeing, doing window shopping, you go to Pride and you see all the products up there for display. And is that really what the struggle was all about when we, um, um, when we rose up around Stonewall and Compton's cafeteria and struggled to because the police were raiding us, arresting us, and uh, criminalizing us. And so the idea of pride actually, that's kind of the North American pride out of Stonewall, it was a resistance to police brutality and criminalization. And so those are concepts are really inconsistent with each other. Thank you so much for that analysis, Susan. That was brilliant. Um, one other thing I also wanted to for us to discuss is Bill 77, which is the Affirming Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity Act. I know you and many other grassroots organizers played a key role in ensuring that this bill passed. Can you tell us what does this bill mean to you and why you devoted so much of your personal time in supporting this bill? Well, I went back to Leila Alcorn, <laughs> was a teenager whose parents were religious based. And Leah in um, December 28th, I think 2014, um, parents had uh, put her through conversion therapy. And she took her own life by running in front of a, a truck. And so, but she left a, a suicide note and I'm having trouble finding the exact note here, but really what Leah says in her suicide note, that she wants to live in a world where transgender people can be themselves. And she ends with fix society, please. So we really took that as a calling, Sherry DeNovo and ourselves, and uh, the trans lobby group and another group, um, TG and ourselves in Sudbury, which I found out later, that we need to do something uh, to fix society. So we introduced a bill. It didn't have gender expression in it, but it had gender identity. And I tried to get gender expression, but don't, don't always get the legislation we asked for, but gender identity and sexual orientation that would ban conversion therapy for youth, youngsters. And conversion therapy is where, um, people who express um, gay or lesbian or bisexual or pansexual sexual orientation or gender identity conflict like myself of not being comfortable in the body. And I was born in and socialized uh, 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 in the wrong gender, um, that that practice be banned for youth under 18. And that for adults would, not be covered by the Ontario Health Insurance Plan. So what that meant, and, and, and I want to contrast that with the current federal bill that I think you're going to ask about. Um, and we were successful in accomplishing that, but we had some real serious pushback. And part of it was because we had tried to get the Center for Addiction and Mental Health to cease operations 
of their practice of conversion therapy. So we received fierce opposition from a Dr. Zucker there and their colleagues. And that clinic had been opened in 1972. And um, they still practice their study of sexuality the same way. And they try to convert parent, uh, youngsters um, against their will um, to being comfortable in the role of sex and gender that, um, um, that we were born into. That can have awful consequences because when puberty hits, there's a number of irreversible, um, irreversible changes to the body which cause, can take a lifetime of surgeries and um, procedures and also just self-esteem. So I did have actually a bill, a, a, a statement from uh, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, but really, and the, the, we just, people needed to be supported, have their authentic lives, but we experienced a lot of resistance on that. And right now there's a bill in the federal parliament to ban conversion therapy. And I want to say proceed with eyes wide open. I know QP National begrudgingly um, uh, uh, don't want to go against my national union, but we're supporting the liberal bill. And this is back to rainbow capitalism all over again and why we need to understand the bill makes it a criminal code offense to practice conversion therapy. We didn't do this in Ontario. We did it by cutting OHIP coverage so that people really wanted conversion therapy. They'd have to pay for it when they were adults, could be consenting adults. We're hoping that the prop and by use, I just got this vision in my head of RCMP offices going to all the doctor's office. So is looking up records to see if they're practicing conversion therapy. So I personally, not as a member of any organization, am very much concerned about employing the criminal code mm -hmm. to achieve our goals, because that would be rainbow capitalism and not queer liberation. And we need to understand that it is the criminal code that has criminalized racialized communities, disability communities, subjugated women, and criminalized and outlawed um, gay, lesbian, bisexual, and trans people like myself. So I'm very, very wary of trudging down that path blindly. Wow. Well, thank you so much for that response, Susan. Um incredible work by you, the NDP, and all of the organizers that are involved with Bill 77. Um, one last question I wanted to ask you was, how can cis straight people like myself play a larger role in being an ally or an accomplice and advocating for the rights of queer and trans people? Well, yeah, I just want to hats off to our pride flags up for Sherry DeNovo, who was a private member who we worked with closely on bills, a lot of legislation in Ontario. Um, because QP Ontario has um, equity-seeking groups in the liberation model, which I actually wish I should have said more about earlier, but you know, QP Ontario and QP National Labor uses the understanding that an injury to one is an injury to all. So we have these human rights committees, women's committees, indigenous committee, 
racialized committee, pink triangle or LGBTQ, depending which group you're in. And so we tend to work together as an injury to all and an injury to is an injury to one is an injury to all. And we're in this together. What we can do is I think is work better with sectors and non vice presidents and uh, members at large and all our members that um, cisgendered people, uh, members of our communities could support us in that struggle to ensure that all um, uh, all our equity committees are working together. So we need to figure out how to build those bridges between the equity committees and the sectors because we got to know we we are not we are not just confined to confined to equity committees. We work we work in all sorts of sectors, different sectors. So, um, so in health sector, in the education sector. Um, and so I think that's one way just we need we, we need to figure out ways that we are all marching for queer liberation and we're doing that together. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Susan. And thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. Everyone at home can follow Susan on Twitter at Susan Gapka. And you can also follow the Pink Triangle Committee on Facebook at facebook.com slash C-U-P-E-O-P-T-C. Thanks again, Susan. Have a great day. Happy Pride, everyone. And uh, don't be caught up by rainbow capitalism. Remember, after Pride Month, we're going to be back. We're going to be focused on queer liberation. We hope you had fun joining our conversation on queer liberation, not rainbow capitalism. If you ever get a chance, please attend your local Pride events and parades when they're in person. There also are some virtual events happening now, so please check them out. And if you do, here's a chant for you to lead. The chant goes like this. Let's get critical. Pride is political. I love that one. Me too. Um, yeah. <laughs> and also, as usual, if you have ideas for future podcasts, please email us at info, that's I-N-F-O, at qp.on.ca. And a special shout out to our producer, Muhammad Akbar, for his talent in making this podcast sound profesh AF. And to Liam Bedard and staff at QP Ontario for promotions and making this podcast come to life. You can also feel free to check in with the QP Ontario Pink Triangle Committee to see latest updates on Pride across Ontario and more. Happy Pride to people who are out and proud, people who aren't out people who plan on coming out, and people who are unable to come out. You're all valid and you all deserve support all year round. Thank you for listening. Sending everyone love and solidarity.
Thank you.